0: I guess I'll uh, I'll kick it off. Um, So today we're talking to Robert Robson, a writer whose work can be found in the New York Times, Commonwealth and the Baffler. And we had the uh, idea to talk to you after reading your piece, Weekending in an Emergency, which came out in the Baffler in April. So yeah, so I guess to kick it off, rereading your piece today, you refer to like taking like a seasonal UPS job and we were curious about like the timeline of that. Like, had you been in the Hudson Valley close to when the pandemic started or was it uh, was that like a couple years back that you were- It was
1: a few years ago. I guess that was more of an illustrative detail, but yes, that was in, I think the winter of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up, I mean, would you like me to maybe just give a little bit of my background? Uh, sure. My, yeah, I grew up in the Hudson Valley in uh, the town of Red Hook, just like a small town. Um, and I had moved away and come back a couple times. Uh, I, I went to school out in Western New York at Geneseo, and I came back. I lived abroad for a little bit, came back again, and yeah, I mean, like it was in one of those times that I just had a hard time finding work um, because, despite all the you know the economic growth in the Hudson Valley and that sort of thing, I always found that it was kind of a challenge sometimes. Uh, yeah, if absolutely. You know. so, yeah. If you were not already in or you know, or often it would just be, you know, like a lot of the people who live up here don't necessarily, or live up there, don't necessarily work up there, you know, mm-hmm. um, which of course is especially now, so with so many people working remotely. But yes, during one of those uh, times of needing to find a job, um, I I worked for UPS for a season, um, just working, or well, for a season, for about a month around Christmas, maybe a little more than a month, just lugging boxes around and that sort of thing. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I really I really liked your piece. I felt that it it's weird looking at it now because we're in a different <laughs> a different moment. And yes. uh, I don't know. Are there any things that you thought were going to happen? I mean, I don't know how much you paid attention to some of the things you were talking about in your piece, but
1: yeah. I mean, at that time, because um, I, I wrote it, I guess it was published in early April, and I had written it sort of in late March when everything was just. You know, flying off the handle essentially um, in those last few weeks of March, and yeah, reading over it now, I was I was very angry. <laughs> I was very afraid as well. But just knowing that people were leaving the city, where you know the ca- the case rates were just flying out of control, you know, they kept expanding all through the the, um, the following months, uh, and I think I was genuinely very afraid of just, because I, I spend time in the piece going over the hospital capacity and that sort of yeah. thing. And I was genuinely very afraid, uh, just looking at the numbers in New York and I guess extrapolating outward a bit, um, that hospitals in the region would really get overwhelmed in the way that they had been. I guess at that point in New York, yes, but also thinking about elsewhere in the world too, yeah. um, which is you know where a lot of the news was coming in from that point. Um, And just how little hospital capacity there is in the Hudson Valley. I mean, like there's no hospital in Greene County. Like, I mean, they're not, there's not a ton of, you know, there's not a very high population in Greene County, but still it seems like there should be a hospital and things like that. So I, I think I was very afraid of that sort of thing happening, um, maybe it would would or would not have been because of you know people going to second homes or airbnbs and stuff but it seems like that wasn't the case like that did not happen yeah. at least in, in much of the hudson valley um you know westchester things were very bad um and there's the possibility i suppose they would be bad again but <laughs> yeah but yeah. Y- yes I, I think that that was something that thankfully i was wrong about
2: yeah it's interesting when i um when i emailed you you kind of brought that up and you you said something like, "Thankfully, your most dire predictions didn't come true," and we're living this weird reality now where things are so much worse. Like I remember in March that you mentioned your piece too. They're you know quadrupling ventilator capacity in uh, Ulster County, and they, I think they converted like the high school, part of the high school, to uh, basically like a field hospital. And it you know, it's you know there was a surge and then it it sort of passed. But uh, I, I was just looking at the numbers before we got on, and there's like. 2,000 active cases in both Ulster and Dutchess County, and like positivity rates are around 10% and probably gonna go up for another couple of months at least. Um, and obviously the state's doing a excellent job distributing vaccines. Um, <laughs> kidding. But uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't know if you if you've been up here, if you've seen any of that, or you're feeling like that in the city. But that that like freak out about numbers. Like now would be the time to like I don't know, shut down some of these restaurants or um, do anything kind of. But uh, but yeah, I mean, hopefully it won't get as bad as you suggested. Maybe it could, but it's clearly it's it's pretty shit up here in terms of in terms of that.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of how it's of course, you know, there's the difference between viewing this or experiencing this or however you want to look at it from, well, from New York City, even, or New York State, um, and comparing with the rest of the country or like, you know, like California or things like that. You know, here in New York, um, I mean, just, yeah, stores are open. Um, I mean, there there's no indoor dining or anything like that. And outdoor dining is pretty limited just because of the nature of like how much space there is on yeah. the sidewalk and that sort of thing. That's cold as well, so people we aren't really doing right. it. Um, but there's like, a, yes, there's absolutely like a level of normalcy or of a, a feeling like our our lives maybe have been reoriented enough to contain it where like it just is not the case. Like maybe it's a totally false sense of, um, well, I mean, I know it's a false sense of security because you look yeah. at the numbers in, in in so much of the country, uh, including places that you I guess I, I had maybe falsely hoped, you know, would, like California would have enough of a control, like a handle on it from last time or something. Um, right. And it's just like, yeah, it's the worst it's ever been. And so it's, it's sort of hard to, to know what to make of that. I suppose.
2: We were just talking before you came on, like, I think one of the things you, that really, I mean, I read the piece like around when it came out and um, we were kind of sharing it around because we're like, cause we, you know, we, we talk about, Sort of the relationship between this region and the city a lot um, mm-hmm. just among ourselves and uh, yeah you, you do you do a really good job of highlighting sort of this broader trend of I mean things as like long standing as sort of like erasure of just like the people and and what's in this region, but also like more recently the kind of um, broad gentrification uh, of the Hudson Valley and the way that this event is sort of accelerating it and I guess just in terms of what we were just saying like you know I know indoor dining is closed in the city it's amazing to me how many people we see in the restaurants around here and I mean I'm sure not as many are um like tourists coming up from the city as it was in more normal times but um I mean just just the number of restaurants here who are designed to cater to uh either second home or you know homeowners or or tourists or whatever is uh and that's kind of the a huge chunk of the economy up here, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, cause one, one thing I re re-reading my piece that I felt like I was kind of correct on, but I definitely missed a side. I was thinking about real estate because resident, like I think I was for some reason very focused on like commercial real estate and like businesses yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, whereas like, you know, residential real estate is the thing that has exploded. Yeah. Um, like like just in terms of, properties being, uh, rental properties being purchased and turned into, um, like owned properties or other things like that. Um, it just has really remade the geography. Like I have friends, um, who rent and, you know, they've like, maybe they've achieved at this point, like, you know, after renting for many years, like a level of like, you know, extremely relative financial security that they would think about buying a home or something like that. And just like the last, however many months, it just, blown that up
3: right.
1: uh yeah yeah it's just like it's impossible to <laughs> own a house unless you have the kind of money that somebody who's in the city looking to buy a house or whatever probably has mm-hmm. and the market um, is
3: moving so fast like mm-hmm. the properties are just getting snapped up day to day
1: mm-hmm. yes yeah, mm-hmm. so i hadn't seen purchase you know cash purchases mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. stuff which I guess like that has had the beneficial aspect, right, of people whose jobs it is to like fix all of those houses (laughs) that in fact were in terrible shape but people purchased immediately. So, you know, a lot of uh, handymen and plumbers and and all kinds of people I think are just gonna be employed doing this work for a while, but that's just one thing. Um,
3: Well, I think like to kind of draw the two together, like something I was really struck by on your piece too is how, you know you you're sort of writing from a place of fear in terms of hospital capacity which was totally justified and is still justified like we were just saying but also the fear of like the permanent changes that would take place in this region if like small businesses got muscled out or just couldn't make it and like like you talk about how there were already patterns of these communities being shaped by the people who are coming in as second homeowners or as you know transplants from the city like the way that they would sort of bend around those people and start to cater to them um, and how that could be potentially a permanent change if there's sort of like a tipping point with the pandemic. And that totally resonated with me because I didn't grow up upstate, but I did grow up north of the city. And I've had that thought on my mind since the pandemic started.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's been interesting. I mean, of course, like a certain amount of this is just, you know, change over time just the way a region develops and that sort of thing. But just thinking about growing up uh, in the region, um, like this, you know, like a city like um, like Hudson or something like that, which is obviously just an incredibly gentrified city today. But, you know, when I was growing up, when I was 10 or so, it just was not the case. Yeah. Um, and it's been, but yet yeah, that was, I think, the first one that really became very gentrified. And it was interesting then in like, you know, the, the past however many years, five or six years or something, discovering that happening in, in elsewhere, even if it was happening before. Like, you know, uh, I think you sent me an article about um, Newburgh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just the idea that Newburgh could never be gentrified is wild to me. I mean, it, yeah. it, can't, it can't be in a sense. Like certain aspects of it can't really be right. um, in some senses, but it, without like an absolutely disastrous effect on the people who already live there. Well, it's like every two weeks,
2: there's like a New York Times article about like, you know, this this hidden gem, like I, I think I said to you when I sent that Newburgh thing, like there's a new one about some town between the city and Albany, like, you know.
3: It's Poughkeepsie or it's Newburgh. Yeah, or, right?
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> every couple of weeks.
3: Also in your piece, like you were just saying, like there was more of a focus on commercial real estate, although the residential real estate and commercial real estate go hand in hand. Like if more mm-hmm. and more people are buying up second homes or just straight up moving, you know that then gets reflected in the businesses, like where people are spending their money and um, if the rents go up and mm-hmm. the smaller businesses can't can't make it work and etc. cetera. Um, but also in a past episode of our podcast, we talked about the effect on the school systems. And like in, in your piece, I think you use the phrase, like you talk about a lot of the people who are coming up from the city spending aggressively. And I've definitely felt that to be the case. And even school budgets is an example. Like, if you move to another place and you want to jack up the school budget because you're used to a certain amount of spending coming from New York City or coming from wherever you are coming from and that like ripples out into the community and affects people who already live there which I think is a key point in your piece that you're not necessarily you know throwing shade so to speak (laughs) exclusively on New York City people but you are highlighting the fact that they might be making decisions either to literally travel from the city up during a pandemic or you know how they spend their money and the kinds of services they expect and how that you know they might not be thinking as much about the people who already live in those communities and need certain things and et cetera
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know because it's just the kinds of business well at least for the most part, the kind of business that you're going to be patronizing if you are visiting a place like for one weekend however many weeks out of the year, you know, if you, maybe like two weeks out of the year or something, um, as opposed to if you live there every day, you know, like it's just, they're just not the same businesses. You don't need the same things.
0: Exactly.
1: And I think I, like a good, like, and because it's actually interesting, I think that because of the, um, like the geography and the design of a lot of the, the like, the, you know, the region cities are for the most part quite small. So they just have these very long main streets. And I think that, I mean, granted like this is maybe me creating a two- nice image, but you can kind of see like over the years, um, the way that business like, you know, quote unquote more essential businesses, whether those be like just grocery stores or corner stores or things like that, Mm -hmm. just will get pushed further and further down these like Mm -hmm. very long main streets like, I just remember, I don't even know, this was a few years now, I was in Hudson, and I was just walking down Warren Street with somebody, and we stopped and somebody was in somebody who's an ATM, and just talking to the woman who owned the business, and just, she said, like, yeah, like, a certain number of years ago, I was just, like, that much further up Warren Street, and now I'm, like, this much further down, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, probably further away from people who would actually be able to use the business, because that's the part of Warren Street that is now full of you know, restaurants, I, well, I mean, like, you know, it's a certain amount of me complaining about, like, I can't afford to do this stuff, but, like, <laughs> right. but still, like, it's, it, no. there's just a, yeah. a fundamental difference in those yeah. sorts of things, which, you know, then makes living in certain parts of the cities, like, just more and more of a challenge for the people who actually live there.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, because yeah. if you can't walk to, you know, if you don't have, a, I don't know, if you don't have a car or just, like, you don't want to use your car, but you can't walk to the business you need to use. Uh, but, like, there is a new... <laughs> whatever like you know restaurant you can't necessarily afford to eat at or you don't want to eat at you know oh, like you. <laughs> yeah it's just uh it just changes the nature of li- like just how you live in
2: the city well rob i was i was wondering about one thing because is occurring to me so you're talking about this divide between between the city and the hudson valley and you know a lot of this stuff is uh is obviously you know has a has a huge class element i mean in many cases it's sort mm-hmm. of the most dominant element but I wonder if you think much about, um, this sort of like ambient kind of cultural divide that kind of increasingly seems to exist between urban areas, which are, you know, considered bluer or more democratic and, you know, the tendency of sort of, uh, democratic politics to, you know, be favoring more, uh, like socially liberal professionals. I mean, like speaking really broadly, obviously, and this like association of rural areas with, um, conservatism and uh, how, you know, I, I don't know if you've thought much about how that plays into this sort of divide that you're kind of getting at in your piece.
1: Yeah, I, it was something that I, I had thought a little bit more about maybe trying to write something about, but I never really got my thoughts in order about it. But to, to get to your point, like this is actually, there was this whole like, I feel like a trend of tweet that would go viral over the summer in which people who who did not flee the city, but were like, you know, in, you know, July or August or something were maybe finally getting out and going on vacation up in the Hudson Valley and like seeing a lot of Trump signs and being like, oh, this is Trump country. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like immediately just, I mean, not just dismissing it, but even simply in the sense of like, these people obviously must be like the true constituency Mm -hmm. of this place. Um, which is like, to a certain extent, like conceding the argument, right? Because it's sort of like, that is how a Trump person, or many Trump people would conceive of it, you know, the Mm -hmm. idea that like, if someone, you know, does not fit within like, there's certain criteria being, you know, well, I mean, being white, essentially. um, (laughs) That's not, not, you know, no, no reason to beat around the bush on that one. Um, But like, you know, like, you think about, you know, the actual composition of the Hudson Valley, which, of course, is like, depending on, where you were, depending on um, what city you were in or uh, what county or that sort of thing. You know, it's like rather white, but also is not, you know, like yeah. many, many of these cities are, are, are not and historically have not been. Um, Kingston especially is great. I mean, but Hudson as well. Um, but, but I guess the point is like, and I'm getting a little off topic, I apologize. Um, but is that it is interesting the extent to which the entire region or even entire counties or however would be, painted with the brush that like the, I don't want to say the worst members, but I kind of would wish to characterize them as, like people in the city or even some transplants maybe, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, Mm -hmm. would maybe like concede the argument on that, you know, Uh, as opposed to looking at like who actually lives in I mean, in, in Kingston, you know, and, and asking yeah. them how they feel about it. Cause it, cause unfortunately, cause they're not on vacation. They don't get to go home. They have to deal with these people all the time. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I mean, of course, I think that the Hudson Valley as well, I think I mentioned in my piece as as well that New York 19, which of course, like, that district has changed a few times, like it used to, it still is like pretty wildly gerrymandered, it like goes north and then curves through the suburbs around Albany, you know, just to like sweep up a bunch of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to go all the way to Lake George, which was wild.
0: Right. Um,
1: but it is like a... Um, I guess you could almost call it like a starter district. Like it is a place that-
2: Yeah, I've heard that since we, it's interesting. I mean, I think that, um, you know, it, it also has the effect of obscuring like where these things need to be interrogated. Like I was saying to Liz and Greg, right before we talked, like the woman I was working for back in March, she was saying how she was sort of uncomfortable with all this sort of um, hostility people were expressing towards people coming up from the city. You know, especially about them spreading the virus, and you know, I I, I kind of figured I wasn't so personally concerned with people. I I figured it was already spreading, and that was just going to happen. But I do think there there is a decent instinct at the core of that resistance to people sort of fleeing up into your area without having much connection, which in some ways I think is at the heart of your piece. Um, and you know, it, it is this intersecting. I mean, there's 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 a racial dimension and there's a class dimension, but this um. Yeah, this this tendency, like you're kind of saying, to just sort of pigeonhole, okay, this region, yeah, this this Trump country or whatever, it it allows you to sort of avoid um, looking at the the complexities of what's really happening and kind of the interconnection,
1: you know? Yeah, because you know those instincts sometimes have a similar root. Well, for instance, uh, a a classmate of mine read the piece and said that it was extremely um, racist and, and anti, or like xenophobic, I believe was the term she used. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and granted, like, I think that that came from her experience having like, uh, been an immigrant and gone to Bard College and experienced a lot of racism in my hometown, which is like not surprising to me, mm-hmm. especially, um, you know, like 20, 25 years ago, maybe. Um, yeah. But it does, I think represent, especially because I do I think deal with fairly directly the fact that like the people who are most likely to be impacted by the spread of the of the virus are like I mean they're like the, you know the quote-unquote essential workers or whatever. Yeah. who in our region especially for um for farming and other things like that are just like absolutely <laughs> immigrants like just like or you know the children of immigrants like it's not I, I think it's just like inarguable um in many ways like in terms of manual laborers and that sort of thing um but it does, you know, like I can understand like why that perspective collapses those things because for many, I think for you know, many people I knew growing up and that you would see around and parents or whatever, like those are twinned instincts. Those are like the instincts come together by which I mean the like no outsiders thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe this is just like being a little, I don't know, tendentious or whatever, but just be, feeling like you can tease those things apart sometimes, even yeah. if people insist on, putting them together.
3: Um, I mean, this is a little bit of a pivot. It still has to do with your piece, Rob, but uh, a really interesting thread I found was your idea or what you describe as like the myth of the Hudson Valley and the way it's persisted over time, like going back to like the Hudson Valley painters all the way to now, Um, Mm -hmm. like the way that it's sort of idealized and fetishized as this like empty, rural openness where you can you know your dreams can all come true and you know whatever fantasies that you know the upper class
0: rich yeah, people have want to
3: it. yeah whatever they want to project onto it they can and I thought that really resonated with me because you can see how things shift around you and how that like fantasy gets played out.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah that, that quote about uh, uh, Thomas Cole like deliberately painting out Roads and, and yeah. buildings
1: and stuff is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly like maybe it's it's a it was a <laughs> bit of a stretch to be like, and that leads to like Instagram photos. But I well, think that I wrong. think that there, yeah, because I mean, like, I think that I speak about this a little bit in the piece. I mean, basically, and I mean, this is a case of anyone who has to move anywhere, right, or who joins any new community, is that. <laughs> you know, things that are already in place prior to your arrival. And, you know, like you can try to fit into that thing which already exists. And I mean, like, of course, there are always like problematic concepts related to like existing communities because communities define their own boundaries, right? And like, you know, those those can be improper boundaries, or not just improper, but like discriminatory or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So, you know, you don't want to take these things at their words, like it was better before X arrived. Though, of course, the history of the Hudson Valley is such that like, it's not like a new thing for like, you know, whatever we're speaking about in the moment, whether we're thinking about racial others or whatever, like have not recently arrived, you know, it's like, is there not new things? Um, But with regards to that, you know, like I think about, maybe it was was thinking about how the region has changed a bit in the past, like 20 or 30 years, 30-40, maybe more like in the sense of people who move up to Hudson Valley now you know there are many people who maybe you know like the job that they work is remote or you know there are a lot of commuters to the city um, or there are people who's you know like the businesses they're working for or that they're starting or whatever cater to people from the city, sort of like I was saying before, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know the idea of thinking about the community that already exists and yeah. mm-hmm. and what does it need, sort of, you know like, and I don't, I mean, this is, I don't want to be like, and my parents were the good ones because <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But like, you know, my parents moved up from, I was thinking about just my parents. My parents both grew up in New York City. My mom uh, grew up in the Bronx. My dad grew up in Queens. Um, and if I got married, they moved up. But like, you know, my mom worked at the hospital and my dad worked for the Dutch County Department of Mental Hygiene. And again, I don't want to be like, and they did it the right way. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, they, they identify, I mean, they identify, they found jobs in things that were already serving the, comu- you know, the, the community and that the community needed, which you know, being physical therapists or psychologists or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and integrated themselves into the community that way. And I feel like the, the idea of the, the blank community, like the blank slate, um, the empty wilderness, that sort of thing projects an idea of moving to a place. I mean, I suppose you could connect it to that whole like rugged individualism thing in America, but it's yeah. even, it's just more like you're just apart from people, right? You're moving to your house in the middle of the woods, you know, your your kids mm-hmm. are going to do whatever, but you're not really thinking about who's already there. Like what school district are you yeah. do? What needs do they have? Um, all of these things, which... I don't know I mean maybe that's just a flaw of how like uh, maybe I don't want to say Americans as a whole but maybe a certain kind of class position that sort of thing thinks about their Mm -hmm. place in the world as like yeah me me first
3: Mm -hmm. yeah totally
2: it also kind of has this effect of um like infantilizing like the locals like when Liz and I were reading this piece uh in New York Times about the school districts up here and then like all around the Northeast on, because there was some line about like, you know, like they're bringing in like diversity and culture to these, uh, you know, to these poor locals who've, who've never been to a museum or, uh, you know, seen a non-white person. And it's like, yeah. Like they're
3: doing a service just by spending their money in that community. Totally. It's just, it's the way
2: the sort of like good ideals of like cosmopolitanism and like diversity and, you know, interconnection have been entangled with with class and this ability to just drop a million in cash on some house up in the Catskills and move your family up there i mean it's that it's that nexus that uh Mm -hmm. you know i I think Mm -hmm. the the real issue
1: is yeah yeah there i mean these sorts of pieces get written every so often whether it's about the the school districts or it's i mean like you know the new york times real estate section publishes these things all the time they publish them even more now because of because you because of the pandemic so many people have left like it's just so much more material but you know like as a person with like you know probably just like some resentments and then like my friends have more resentment like you just get sent this stuff all the time like look at these morons look what they wrote (laughs) you know it's one of those things where like sometimes as articles it's very hard to tell whether I don't know, like sometimes it really feels like the, the writers are just like paying out rope and it's like allowing the subjects to hang themselves essentially yeah. like without knowing it or if they just like the tone is such that everything just seems like a ridiculous satire. Yeah, this, but it's this, not.
2: This, to be honest, I just think most of these are just so vain and, mm-hmm. and to, to a lot of a lot of this writing, I mean, I think it, it has the function of like trying to assuage these people's guilt. A little bit you know like it's okay that you do this and mm-hmm. uh, i mean you know not not to lump everybody into one group but like the, the it, it there's just such a intense divide and this approach towards it seems to often just further it
1: yeah and i mean like there's absolutely just like and i mean this is very um I still have no data for this, but yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of condescension, certainly there's, you know, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, and then there's a the lot of resentment. So like those two things just bump off each other in the same way that like the way that people that I grew up with and like Bard students would interact, you know, <laughs> it just was like, kind of like everybody was wrong. <laughs> um, and not that I was right, certainly, but it just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to find it because there's one article that like particularly infuriated so many people i knew which was of um business like new business owners in like ulster county basically like people who had moved up to ulster county to start their own businesses but it just was like some of the stuff these people said was just remarkable like it truly was you know, they would quote someone who moved up to, you know, like to a community, like it's an existing community of people who already live there. And these are the, like, they have just moved up and bought a house. And we're like, immediately like going to meetings, like being like all this stuff needs to change in this town. And we're like shocked that people were pushing back on it, you know? And it's just like, why would you assume that like everything would change just cause you arrived, you know, as opposed to like, okay. I mean, certainly like your voice should be part of it. You live there now too, but like, just remarkable. Like, I just don't understand that mindset basically.
3: Yeah, yeah. that's something we talk about a lot. And I, I feel very similarly. And again, it's not to lump everyone in together. And I definitely think your piece um, that you wrote in April does a good job of not just, of of like, highlighting that nuance that it's not just like a no outsiders thing it's that like Mm -hmm. if you are coming in like you know think about how you fit in and what you might be bringing for better or for worse you know and Mm -hmm. how you might be changing things for better or for worse and that's like it's a totally different mindset to kind of like be looking outside of yourself
1: yeah and i mean like you can you can spend a lot of time thinking or talking about people and how they act and that sort of thing, like quote, unquote, you know, like being condescending or whatever. And like that only matters so much, I guess. I mean, it just, it's more how it um, manifests in terms of, I mean, it's like literally in terms of real estate, like how much of the real estate is being taken up, you know, by people with, buy second homes, you know, and in that sense of like, that that's a real impact on the lives of people who live in an area and that becomes beyond or like that, that extent that makes the issue not like really who it is or how they're acting it just you know well i guess it just becomes more about i guess i mean capitalism <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> i guess
2: one other thing i want to add to <clears throat> is it's really interesting in the northeast where you know it's not like rural like um like appalachia for instance mm-hmm. but it, it's this particular kind of uh you know, areas around here that haven't really been like industrial in you know, half a century or in some places <laughs> considerably longer. And, you know, I, I feel like particularly in the Northeast, it's either kind of places just sort of let go and they're just, you know, old mill towns, deindustrialized or whatever, or they're revitalized for the sake of tourism, basically, or second home ownership, which is essentially a kind of tourism. It's because because you bring up like the point that like the idea of gentrification or revitalization is not, I mean, revitalization, I guess, is not inherently bad. I mean, it's a good thing it should happen, but it seems like it can only happen when it's done in a way that favors uh, whatever like dominant group is coming in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it's, it's interesting in the sense that like, you know, viewing, like you said, viewing these things as purely rural ignores the extent to which they were like pretty thoroughly industrialized in one way or another, you know, like Tannersville is called Tannersville because there was once like a tanning factory there. It was not a huge operation, but yeah, I mean, it was in a certain sense, like more industrialized than it is now, you know, Um, you know, the the, the Catskills were just cleared of timber. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole area was, very massively exploited for quite a long time in a way that it, it is not anymore to that extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, cause I think, I think a city like Newburgh is probably a good example of, yeah, you know, like once a fairly prosperous city, a city with a fair amount of industry, um, you know, with like a fairly robust downtown that just like for a variety of reasons, which granted I don't know enough about to be fair. Um, like, I mean, and just urban, like neglect, absolutely, being a part of that, you know, the people who, well, I mean, the people who run the state, but also, you know, perhaps people who run the city too, just like ignoring the concerns of its residents and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, its residents are because of the, I mean, the, the nature of how a race works in America. Like, like, some people are going to be listened to more than others, essentially. And the people who are moving in are the people who are going to be listened to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're the ones that can say, like, we're going to bring this money and we're going to develop this downtown, I guess if there is not an alternative plan or there are not people in power or in government or things like that who have alternatives for revitalization, then like, yeah. what, what else are you going to do about it, right? Because- Yeah because mm-hmm. you don't, you're not going to, you know, because like, people, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I where's, the money, off the where's the money going to come from? They
3: you get know? kind of cornered into it in a way. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah, which is why you can't make like a good old days argument about a lot of the Hudson Valley. Though, of course, as you know, like, like IBM had such a big presence 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, so, you know, like the region was different than it is now, you know, where like tourism is a more recent thing. As like such a big driver, um, yeah. As opposed to just other, you know, other kinds of like middle upper, upper middle class employment uh, used to exist in the region, just don't anymore. Uh, which is not due to, I guess, any of the things that we would talk about or think about in terms of like urban neglect or urban decline and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's also too. We we end up in this kind of moment where the I don't know, like a certain kind of industrial past is romanticized, but as you correctly point out like even I mean mm-hmm. that is uh, that's, uh, kind of a worse sort of exploitation I mean that's the origins of it right just like and also I mean there's even none of this is even talking about like you know the original people who were living here mm-hmm. who were forced out to clear cut you know the Catskills and the Hudson mm-hmm. Valley before any of this shit happened
3: and yeah. um it's a history of it's a pattern and a yeah it's, of- it's
2: different sort of phases I mean now you know the experience of uh what would you say? Like uh, hanging up dried herbs is <laughs> fetishized, but you know it's 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 kind of a series of um, yeah different you know progressive stages of of exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, and it's just like what resources are considered mm-hmm. valuable to capitalize upon. You know, which at mm-hmm. the moment are certainly natural beauty and you know historic downtowns and that sort of thing. But in the past were were, you know, exploiting those yeah. that natural beauty. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like, certainly, yeah, I mean, you know, I, this is, I hoped my piece didn't come off as like nostalgic because certainly like Hudson Valley nostalgia can get extremely toxic, extremely quickly. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I would argue that sort of the understanding of the Hudson Valley, like there was some, who was it? I, unfortunately, I think it was someone from my high school. So I'm just like referring to a Facebook post now, but like <laughs> pe- people were arguing that like slavery, was the cornerstone of the economy in the Hudson Valley prior to um, emancipation in New York state, which was just like not true. Yeah, um, It was important certainly, but the idea that it was anything like the Southern plantation economy is just like yeah. not, even, even in, at the same time, let alone what the Southern plantation economy became yeah. later on, it's just not correct. However, Any vision, which is, I think, what Thomas Cole was painting, any vision of the, which I guess, eh, I guess I really wasn't that much safer by the time Thomas Cole was painting. Maybe I was stretching a little on that one. But like, you know, any vision of the Hudson Valley that is not, like that is fundamentally like Washington Irvings, like fundamentally bucolic, just like, you know, very happy small landowner sort of people is just not true like the region was just owned by for the most part massive landowners yeah. whose you know manors are all over the hudson valley to this day and grand are like wonderful wonderful places to visit and, and like to go on walks and stuff like they're, they're they're very nice um but you know like that's just the history of it is yeah. you know yeah. it, is much, i guess much of the country hmm hmm and yeah and but also of course there is the History of of revolt as well in the Hudson Valley against that sort of thing. Um, you reminded me too of uh,
2: Do you know the uh, Claremont Estate? Like, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
2: like, I think I think it's there that like you know you can read like the history placards, and it's like you know whoever the first Claremont was or whatever was granted like you know just three hundred miles to the west or something like this. Just mm-hmm. like yeah, that's that's all yours now.
1: Yeah, I think that. Cool. It's a good. I should, I've like I've gone there so many times.
3: Yeah, we. Uh, it's, it's a
1: nice. It's a nice spot. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's uh, it's like a wonderful place to live. Uh, I, I, well, it's wonderful. It is a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to visit, though. I meant for Claremont. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean it's Robert Livingston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Livingstons were just like an extraordinarily wealthy, family like of landowners. Yeah, um, incre- and incredibly important in New York State history as well. Like Livingston County out in um, western New York. I'm like 90% sure that Geneseo is in Livingston County. It is. Yes. But like the Livingstons were massive landowners. They, uh-huh. and they, uh, they were also massive land dealers. They, um, con- they, or they, they, um, negotiated a- along with the, uh, with the state a lot of the treaties, uh, which were considered, which were at-, at the time illegal to purchase, um, big amounts of, uh, of, like the land belonging to the, the various Haudenosaunee tribes, um, like they actually were illegal. They were in violation of the constitution because there was no federal representative present. Mm-hmm. So like that's, I mean, the Livingston's had a lot of their money before that, but that was also how they made a lot of money because they purchased a lot of that land and then sold it. Um, as like the foundation of New York state basically mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in Western Western New York. I think that it was Robert Livingston who, like, there's some quote somewhere I feel like on the property, which is that he would, like, open up his door and, like, look out and, like, all the way to the Catskills and be like, I own all of yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this. this yeah. Nice, modest fellow. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: yeah. Also, is, like, without veering too much into pessimism, I think, like, it is worth, pointing out the pattern because circling back to our example with Newburgh, like in that article, you know, they kind of get put there, you know, like the city of Newburgh is kind of in a bind then because they can take the money from the transplants and try to, you know, revitalize their city. yeah, And, you know, take that with the good and the bad, or things kind of stay the same and it ends up being like kind of, you know, you're kind of painting yourself into a corner there because, you know, we know what happens with gentrification. We've seen it happen over and over again. The, we're, we're talking about examples that stretch back and back through history. And you know we know that it comes with good things and bad things. Like that New York Times article, it, it wasn't, I'm paraphrasing, but it was at one point in the article, it was like, Basically describing how like hopefully, you know, the influx of money and the renovations will like kind of ripple out into the community. That was essentially I'm paraphrasing, but that was kind of what they were saying. And then it was like trickle
0: down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So then the writer was
3: like, at least that's in theory. Like that's what they wrote. And it's like, well, we know that it's only in theory because we know that it comes with all these backlashes. If only we could
1: test that theory. (laughs) And it's one of those interesting things, which I Mm -hmm. guess is not unlike. How gentrification plays out in a lot of New York City or in other like major cities, in you know, other major cities in the United States or the areas around those major cities, is that like gentrification is often carried out by people who know what gentrification is and feel very uncomfortable about it, but do it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly. Yeah. For
1: sure. <laughs> and I mean, like theoretically, that would mean that you would stop. But like I remember that I. I um, like I'd worked as a local journalist in a variety of capacities um, in the past, which I think it was actually after I got like I had a contract doing stuff for Hudson by magazine that got because their like budget was annihilated, because it was all advertising. um, And after the start of the pandemic, it just like all went away. but I was a freelancer of a contract there. And I think it was after that, that I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna write this piece, which is like all of my resentment coming out <laughs> about this stuff. But like, I I mean, when I was working there and uh, other places as well, like you pretty much had to write positive coverage of mm-hmm. what you were doing. I mean, not necessarily, you know, like they had court reporters and whatever, like not Hudson Line Magazine, they didn't have a court reporter there, but you know, like uh, you would, well, you would be covering things because they were new. And in order for them to be new, like pretty much all the new development in the area is due to people from the city. Not entirely, that is not entirely the case, but a lot of it is the case. That's where the money is coming from. Um, And you would have to write like fairly, like not, I mean, it didn't have to be like glowing, but it was still like neutral to positive. And if it's neutral, it's positive essentially because you're providing them with with coverage. And I remember like in, in Newburgh, I interviewed the people who like the they're a design co- uh, firm who they're renovating uh, atlas industries which was or like they are atlas Industries, but they were renovating this like big old brick factory in downtown newburgh um i don't i'm trying to remember when i interviewed them yeah it was like 2018 2019 probably 2019 uh something like that and I remember I had like because you know the that was I mean it's sort of like the way that gentrification works right which is that you tend to have like some sort of geographic hub where there's an investment and then it grows out away from that like it can happen where it's broken up all over a city but oftentimes like in Hudson you know it was basically like one block of Warren Street Mm. 20 years ago that then like expanded further and further down Warren street over time, which I mean, I mean, you know, it's like, I'm sure that also like in, in Hudson, it was like a lot of buildings that were in intense disrepair and that sort of thing, having businesses yeah. in them. But that's, uh, that's kind of separate from this, which is, but yeah. like the, the sort of like Atlas studios building, it has space for like, it has like basically studio space, but you could, you know, set up any number of businesses in those studios. Um, but the kinds of businesses it's catering towards are like just inherently the kinds of gentrification sort of businesses you would think of. Like I'm trying to remember what was even in that building, but it was just like not, <laughs> I don't know. Not, I, just the sort of thing you would imagine. And also I think they had artists studios as well, um, which were fairly expensive. But then like in the area immediately around it, there were like brand new sort of like, you're like you know, fancy schmancy restaurants or whatever um that sort of thing so like it is it was serving as that like hub of gentrification and i remember i had just like i really feel like it was a gentle question about like are you concerned about the impact that this is going to have like not even this is going to have it was phrased in such a way that was just like what do you like have you gotten pushed back or something like that not even making it your problem like making it like a thing that might have happened and i just remember they like clammed up they were just like not happy that I'd even raised that question. And I, I mean, of course, like, I don't want to say they said something they didn't say, but it, I, from what I vaguely remember, it was something effective, you know, like who else is spending money, right? Who else is investing? Yeah. Um, and that's that very defensive posture of someone who like understands what gentrification is. Cause actually they, I think this place, like they had um, started in Gowanus, I think, which mm. like 25 years ago, Gowanus is uh, very different than it is now. Yeah. So Though the canal still not clean,
0: to my knowledge, <laughs> still, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I, that's why I, I do think you know there is a kind of subgenre of writing in whether it's New York Times or whatever other similar publication that is functionally there to rid you of your guilt for doing you know what you know is having these effects, telling you that it's okay to be this way, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> it's it's all the uh all the um aspects of the liberal psyche that's like the, the new york times to me each section is like a different component of the psyche
1: and, and just the you know just the problem is that like because for the most part um local media is just so hollowed out it just you're not going to get coverage from somewhere else i mean there are some like chronogram and you know chronogram sort of has these various attempts yeah. to do other things and like every so often like i remember like the the albany times union i believe like started a local weekly that was called the river chronicle but they they had there's no money in it they don't pay anything like this place didn't and so they could never keep a journalist and it just like folded basically because there's just not a big market i mean that's due to a variety of the factors that have impacted media you know in the past however many you know 20, 30 years, but. It just is like I guess that's that's really just circling around the point of like it's just hard to get other news or other other uh, angles on it because you know it's pretty much all there's just I mean it's nothing it's like super hollowed out local publications yeah. like you know the Poughkeepsie Journal or the Daily Freeman or it's uh, it's the New York Times writing about local real estate you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no I mean I guess that might might be a good uh is to start to cap it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why, like, we, I mean, we wanted to talk to you and um just because, yeah, because I feel like your piece is, is giving voice to something we've, uh we've thought about a lot. So it, it's striking this balance between acknowledging the reality of the situation, but also expressing the frustrations of living in, in, in the Hudson Valley at this time. So, I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad we've been able to bring a, a bunch out of this piece. In no,
1: I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, like, you know, like when I was thinking over the summer I was getting very mad about people from New York being like, Oh, it's Trump country. Like, cause the reality is just like the Hudson Valley is just an incredibly, I mean, it's a, it's a total platitude, but it's just like an incredibly diverse place and it would be better if like more people from the region like had a, an avenue to have their voices heard. You know, Absolutely. like,
0: Absolutely. so
1: it wasn't just a blank screen being projected on by people, uh, you know, just like, and I mean, there are, I think, somewhat, I mean, like not necessarily in a media sense necessarily, but you know, it's like maybe, and I think that the the protests over the summer certainly uh, showed an element of that, just that like there are people in yeah. Kingston and other in Poughkeepsie and other places like that who just like, they have concerns, you know, they, they have things they wanna say, they should be heard. And if only there was a, I don't know. I don't know how, how best to have that diversity of voices heard. So that is, yes, it's not just people from the city <laughs> or yeah. people like me who have moved to the city, you know, like <laughs> but that can can talk about their experiences and their concerns and things like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and their desires, you know, their wants, the, the things that, that, that make up being a person. And, you know, that the Hudson Valley is an incredibly diverse place with a lot of, things to say about it positive and negative you know things that are bound up together there yeah people were i just w- wish more people had a we're given a voice to express that
2: yeah, yeah. I swear well, you, you that. do a good job of uh teasing it out so thank you yeah appreciate that thank um, you for
1: having me on this podcast yeah
2: if people yeah. if people want to read this piece or you know newer stuff you're writing uh where's the best place to follow you or find that
1: yeah um i I, you know, I publish only every so often just because grad school gets in the way, but I would say people should follow me on Twitter. I mostly post really stupid shit, but I do, you know, I do. <laughs> so <does> at, <laughs> yeah, anyone worthwhile, but I, I do um, post and repost everything that I have written. I also have a website, but you can follow me. It's just at Rob underscore Rubsam. So at R-O-B underscore R-U-B-S-A-M is probably just a good place to do it. Um oh. Yeah. And actually can I can I plug something that is not mine please sure okay I would like to plug uh, my friend's band uh, <laughs> when I was growing up in the Hudson Valley I would go to all of these like shows at the local Elks Lodge and stuff and my friend Frank had a band Frank and his fingers which have like gone through a bunch of iterations but they have an album out on March 26th that's being put out by Subfamily, which is a, like a record label that's owned by a bunch of artists in the Hudson Valley the album is called universal hurt i don't think it's been announced yet it'll be announced soon but like i think that's going to be like up for you know saving and purchasing and whatever soon
0: sweet yeah, yeah. we can we'll put do that, that info in the description <laughs> all right then i guess uh <laughs> <laughs> signing off then
2: yeah uh, thanks again for talking we, yeah uh, thanks so much yeah it's really it was, it was interesting to uh to dig into this piece
1: yes thank you thank you for having me